Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all around the world through what He's doing right here at Meadowbrook. So if that's you and you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send us an email at godstories at nbcocala.org. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so by giving online. Thanks so much for joining us and prepare your heart to hear from God. Help me welcome our internet audience tonight. Thank you so much for joining us for Church Online. We're glad you could be with us. We speak peace to your house. It's going to be a good night. You, you can be seated. I know I already said it, but are, are you glad to be here? Yes. There's something about the Wednesday night crew. It's like preaching to the choir. <laughs> you guys, I've, I've said this before, you're kind of like, uh, like I'm, if, whenever I'm up here teaching, it's like being mama bird and y'all are the baby birdies. You're just ready. Uh, whenever I uh, speak truth, y'all are just, it's just like the worms and y'all are just hungry. <laughs> so, so you make my, job, make my job easy. But it's, it's good to be with you. If you're joining us here for the, for the first time, uh, my name is Lee Gilligan and I'm one of the assistant pastors here on staff at Meadowbrook. And I'm just uh, humbled and privileged to be a part of this team, to be a part of what, what God is doing in and through uh, this church community. And, and we're great to have you a part of that as well. Uh, Pastor Tim is with us tonight, but how many of y'all know that the, the shepherd's got to be fed as well? And, I, and I'm honored that, that he would sit under my teaching tonight. So give him a hand. He carries a big load with work and with school and with leading our staff and just all the things that he's going on. He's working on a big research paper for school, and so um, he, he's just come tonight to, to receive. But we've been in the middle of a, of a series on, on Wednesdays, a year-long series called what? Believe, Believe because we are what? Believers. Believers. And, and if we are believers, I think it's important to know what it is that we say we believe. And so we've been walking through this series this year, looking at doctrine and, and, and systematic theology and what does the Word of God really have to say. And so we've been kind of in a focus these last few weeks talking about ecclesiology, looking at the church. We're about to go into a time uh, in the near future talking about eschatology, focusing on the end times, and that, that's important for the days in which we're living. And then we're going to do something cool this fall where we're going to do a, a Q&A portion of our belief series. We're, we're actually going to um, receive questions from y'all, your, your hot burning questions on these topics. Uh, and, and our pastor and some of our pastoral staff are going to respond to those. And so we're looking forward to that as well. But for tonight, I'm going to kind of shelf the ecclesiology focus and, and kind of just share some things that, that, that have been on my heart, some things God has shown me and that I think will be helpful to you as well. But on the weekends, we just wrapped a series called His Not Mine, and just a powerful four-week teaching on stewardship, such a vital element in the life of the believer. And so if you missed that, if you missed a part of that, or if you just want to experience all that again, I encourage you to go to our website, and you can get a hold of our mobile app, our podcast, our video archives, our study guides, any of those ways. It's all free and available to you, so take advantage of that opportunity. But this Sunday, I want to draw your attention. This Sunday is important for a couple reasons. First of all, this Sunday marks 26 years for Meadowbrook Church here in Ocala. So give God praise for that. God has been so faithful um, th through what was Ocala Order Faith and now Meadowbrook these last 26 years, watching what he done, has done through just uh, one man's uh, ability to step out and follow God, take a big step of faith in what God has done through that, to, to grow not just Meadowbrook Church, but to impact a kingdom, to impact uh, the world, and just to grow the kingdom of God at large. And so we, we're going to come together, and we're going to celebrate his faithfulness. But beyond that, this Sunday is what we're calling uh, Vision Sunday. 
This is our Vision Sunday. It's a one-week teaching, and Pastor's going to be kind of talking about where we're at as a ministry, where we're going, uh, uh, kind of emphasize some of the, the important cultural elements that make us who we are and what our direction is in the near future. And so I would encourage you, whether you've been coming since day one, these last 26 years, or, or maybe you're brand new to Meadowbrook, this is going to be a, an exciting time to uh, kind of latch hold of that vision and all of us to rally around that and get excited about what God is doing and about where he's taking us. Amen? Amen. So I encourage you to be here this Sunday for vision. Um, how many of y'all have grade school kids, kids that are going back to school? Okay. <laughs> Some of you. Uh, I know schools are, are, are starting back in the next week or so, different times. Here at the academy, we started uh, th- this past Monday, and it, it was a, uh, a big week for us because my little boy, Gavin, started kindergarten. I got a, got a picture there. There he is. What a stud. The, the, the funny thing is he, he's been looking forward to kindergarten for months. It's been all he's talking about. But he's already been in preschool. And, and in the last few months going to preschool, every day he's like, I don't want to go to preschool. I want to go to kindergarten. He was over it. And so the, the day we wake him up for his first day of kindergarten, I think he's going to be like ramped, like ready to go. So I go to get him up. He doesn't want to get out of bed. He, he doesn't want to put on his uniform. He's telling me he's nervous. I've never even heard him use the word nervous said he doesn't want to go to kindergarten. He wants to go back to preschool. And so I'm just <laughs> confused and also playing these visions in my head of us going to drop off our son at the academy. And of all the families dropping their kids off, I, I have this vision in my head of him being the only one having this massive meltdown in the parking lot. But uh, he, he did great. We got there, took pictures as a family and walked, in, walked him in. And, you know, he, three days in now, he's loving it. So that's exciting. But it's crazy because it seems like just like yesterday, I was starting kindergarten and now I have a kindergartner. Yeah. <laughs> it seems just like yesterday, me and my siblings were, were growing up, it, it, you know, as a family. And now we are, you know, stepping out and establishing our own families and building our own lives. And uh, when, we, when we were younger, dad did a lot more traveling. Uh, nationally and internationally. He did a lot of speaking engagements and, and, and ministry opportunities. And he kind of always made it a goal that um, each year he would try to take each one of us on at least one trip. And so th- this particular summer, it was my turn and, and we were going, I, I think it was only like Georgia or South Carolina where he was headed. It wasn't a big deal. It was just like an overnight trip, but I was excited. And so I remember the night before he, he tucked me in bed. We had an early flight the next day. And he, and he said, all right, well, let's get some sleep. We, we got a day, long day of travel, but it's going to be fun. And so he went to bed. And I was, I was this type of kid. Maybe you were this type of kid. Maybe you have this type of kid. That I made every uh, reason or excuse I could to get out of bed. <laughs> Not just this particular night, but all, all, all the time. Um, I, I need a drink of water. We'll go get a drink of water. I have to go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Can you read me a story? I forgot my vitamin. You know, I forgot to brush my teeth. Whatever it was. I just came up with excuses. And now I, I, I'm reaping what I've sown because my boy is the same way. <laughs> and, and, and I've caught him in there with his iPad under the covers. It's a little different days we're living in now. But anyways, this particular night, because I was excited, I was coming up with more and more excuses. And I remember after about an hour of these games, Dad said, if you do not go to sleep right now, you will not go on this trip. If you do not go to bed right now, you will not go on this trip. And so I ran back to my room, and, and, and I knew, okay, I've got to go to bed, or I'm not going on this trip. I'm going to miss my opportunity. And I think it was the fact that now there was something riding on it, the fact that I had to go to sleep or else I was going to miss out, that I psyched myself out that I could not fall asleep. So I'm laying there, as much as I know I should sleep, as much as I want to fall asleep, I can't shut my brain off. I, I, I can't relax. I'm almost shaking. And I'm like, when I was younger, 
and my wife would say even today, I was somewhat of a hypochondriac. And, and so in this, in this state of panic I'm in as a young boy, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have insomnia. I, I cannot fall asleep. And, and I'm just laying there for hours. To, to make matters worse, this was the year 1995. And there was this song out by, by an artist named Bob Carlyle. Some of you may remember him. It was called Butterfly Kisses. Now, this song is horrible enough on its own. I'm sorry. But this particular night, for whatever reason, as I'm laying there in my insomnia state, this song is stuck in my head. And I can still recall every lyric. I can hear the piano line, like everything. And so it was like this nightmare, but yet I was wide awake. And so I get up and I run to my dad's room around like four in the morning. And he said, what are you doing up? And I'm, I'm like on the verge of tears. Dad, I can't fall asleep. I think I have insomnia. I want to go on the trip. I'm trying. And I've got butterfly kisses stuck in my head. And, and he's like, enough. If, you, you're, if you're not asleep in 10 minutes, you're not going on this trip. Well, fast forward. I ended up falling asleep. I ended up going on the trip. That's a, it's a lighthearted story. But here's kind of what I want to ask you. How many of y'all have ever focused on something so much that it started to feel like it was a reality. You worried about something so much that wasn't necessarily happening. Your circumstances weren't necessarily uh, lining up with what you were worrying about. But because you were so focused on it, you were so worried about it, it started to become a reality for you. Tonight, I want to talk about worry. Most of the things that we worry about will likely never happen. Uh, Rick Warren uh, of Saddleback Church, he says that worry is a down payment on a problem that you'll likely never have. And think about it. Most of the things that you have worried about or are currently worrying about it, it's it's not necessarily something. I, I know we worry about things that are happening, but a lot of times, at least for myself, the things I'm spending most of my energy and thoughts over is something that probably won't even happen. But yet I'm giving all my energy to that worry. And then the truth is we all worry. Now, maybe you're on one end of the spectrum where you worry occasionally, but you're quickly able to refocus and and move beyond that worry. But then there's a lot of others where worry uh, can can just consume you. And and from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, uh, throughout your day, you are totally bogged down by the the thoughts of the things that are weighing on you, the, the problems that you foresee or the things that you're worrying about. For some of you, maybe worry is an art form. It's a science. For some of you, maybe worry is like it is uh, for my friend Bob. Watch this clip. Why don't I start? The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Uh, I worry about diseases, so uh, I have trouble touching things. Uh, In public places, it's it's, uh, almost impossible. I have a real big problem moving. Talk about moving. As long as I'm in my apartment, I'm okay. But when I want to go out, I get weird. Talk about weird. Talk about weird. Well, I get dizzy spells, nausea, cold sweats. Hot sweats, fever, blisters, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, blurred vision, involuntary trembling, dead hands, numb lips, fingernail sensitivity, (laughs) pelvic discomfort. So the real question is, 
what is the crisis, Bob? What is it that you are truly afraid of? What if my heart stops beating? What if I'm looking for a bathroom, I can't find it, and my bladder explodes? <laughs> All right. <laughs> maybe some of you are like Bob. Uh, maybe some of you are not. But a worry is, is a real deal problem. And you look at statistics on stress and anxiety and depression, and they're higher than they've ever been. And it's not just adults with, with jobs, but it's even affecting kids. And, 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 and it's all tied to worry. Worry is not just something that puts a damper on our mood, but worry is something that if, if it goes unchecked, it can manifest, manifest itself physically. Our worry is, is killing us, and I, I think it's important that we get a grip on worry before worry gets a grip on us. That we master worry before worry masters us. And if we're going to learn how to overcome worry, who else should we listen to regarding worry other than Jesus himself? And when we look at the early church, and we look at the New Testament, when we look at the ministry of Jesus and what he came to do, um, really it was more about his work on the cross than it was a bunch of rules. Jesus brought about a new covenant that was focused more on love than the rules. However, he did not throw out the rules. If anything, he brought about some new commandments. Now, Jesus, though, these commandments were not motivated by the law. It was not law for law's sake or rule for rule's sake. Jesus was motivated by love and everything that he did. He, he, he came full of grace and full of truth. And, and when you read about Jesus and, and his ministry and his teaching, we see repeatedly that the crowds were amazed. We read that Jesus uh, taught like someone who had authority, not just another teacher of the law. So the commandments that he brought about, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, these were beyond just the law. He's calling followers unto discipleship. He's instructing us to seek the kingdom. He's calling people to a new way of living, to live righteously. But it's not unattainable. Because through the work of the cross, through him fulfilling the law, he empowers us to be able to actually live righteously. And so he makes some commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, but one specifically is to do not worry. Do not worry. He addresses it straight up. And so we're going to go to Matthew 6, picking up in verse 25. It's just nine verses, but for me, this is like the standard on how to approach worry. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So here it is again, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And therefore, for the third time, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, so nine verses right there. And in those nine verses, three times, Jesus says what? 
do not worry. Do not worry. And you say, well, well, it's not that simple. How do I just not worry? And you might have heard this said that the biggest problem with prayer is that we don't. Our pastor has said that. I've heard other people say that. The biggest problem with prayer is that we don't. Meaning the biggest problem with our prayer life is either that we're not praying enough or we don't have one. Well, I believe the same is closely true in regards to worry. The biggest problem with worry is that we do. Worry is a choice. And the biggest problem with worry is how much time and energy and effort and thoughts that we put towards our worry. The biggest problem with worry is that we do. And Jesus says, do not worry. So I want to go back. I want to work through these nine verses again and kind of go a little more line by line and kind of unpack what Jesus is showing us here. So verse 25, let's read it again. He says, therefore I tell you, read it with me, do not worry. Good. About your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Now immediately you might go to the specific needs that he addresses. What you will eat, or drink, or wear. Now Jesus here, he's addressing the specific needs of this group of people. He's, he's addressing needs of the day. But really, th- those things, you could um, interchange whatever you want for that. You could, you could fill in the blank. I, I know right now if I were to ask you, what is it that you're worrying about? You could probably give me your list. Alphabetize, categorize, prioritize. You know, you know the things you're worrying about. So when you read that, maybe you're not worried about what you'll eat or drink or wear. But you can plug in things that you are worried about. The, the, the key part I want to draw your attention to is that Jesus shows us how our worries are linked to the future. Most of the things we worry about are, are later. They're, they're beyond where we are right now. Notice the tense of that. He says, do not worry about what you will eat, about what you will drink, about what you will wear or put on. And so think about most of your worries. Do they affect you right now in this moment? Or are they linked to later? Most of our worries are linked to the future. And here's what I want you to get, is that worry about the future is a waste of the present. Let me say that again. When we worry about the future, we waste the present. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. If you're on Twitter, I want you to tweet that, because I want you to get that through your head. When you worry about the future, Really, you're wasting the present. You're investing so much into this worry that that really is not affecting you right now, and you're wasting the present. We are given this moment right here and right now. God is here with us. There's things he wants to do today, but if we're so fixated on tomorrow and the future and all the things we're worried about, we're going to miss out on the here and the now and the things that God wants to do in our life. Worry about the future is a waste of the present. And then Jesus goes on to say, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So essentially what he means is that life is more than what you're worrying about. You are more than your worries. There's more to life than the things you consume yourself thinking about. Now, for some of you, it may not feel that way. You may say, you know what? I'm so bogged down with worry. I'm so bogged down with cares and things that are stressing me out and how this bill is going to get paid and how this is going to happen and what this doctor's report is. You're so focused on all those things that it feels like all your life is, is worry. But Jesus is saying, you're more than your worries. Your life is more than what you're worrying about. And when we worry about the future, really, we're wasting the present. Let's keep going. Verse 26, and we're going to read through verse 30. 
It says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add even a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. But yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so Jesus makes this comparison. He makes this analogy. Uh, uh, it points out the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And when I think about birds and I think about flowers, I think about something that is smaller than myself. I, I, I look at birds and flowers as fragile. You know, birds, they don't have our abilities. They don't have our skill set. They don't sow and reap and store away. And they don't have a, a, a grocery budget in, in, in a grocery store. But yet, do they go around worrying about what they're going to eat? No. Their Heavenly Father takes care of them. And then you look at the, 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 the flowers of the field. And, and they don't... They have no ability like we have. It, it's, it, Jesus says the grass which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire. But yet he says that even Solomon and all of his wisdom and his glory and, and his, his riches never was as beautiful as them. And so if, if the birds of the air are fed and the flowers of the field are clothed, how much more does God value you? In Genesis, we see that we were created in the image of God. It doesn't say that about birds. It doesn't say that about flowers. It doesn't say that about anything else. Man was created in the image of God. You are his most prized possession. We are the sons and the daughters of God. We are the ones that he sent his own son for on our behalf as a sacrifice so that we might be redeemed and restored and have eternal life through him. I don't know about y'all, but that excites me. You can't say that for anything else. How much more does God value us? And if he takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, then surely he is going to take care of us. Uh, how many of y'all believe that God cares about the little things? Not, not just the big things, but God even cares about the littlest things. He's in the details. Uh, four or five years ago, my wife and I, we, we adopted this dog. We rescued her from animal services. Her name was Penny. And she was like this weird hound mutt. She was like a hound mix. Her feet were like this. <laughs> and she had like part wiener dog. She was really long. And everyone who saw her always said like, I've never seen a dog like that. But immediately we, we, we loved her. And immediately she was just the ideal dog. She was so laid back, so cozy, so easygoing, never caused a problem. But when we had our little girl, she had some allergies early on. And we felt like the dog really irritated that. And so it was our daughter or the dog. And I was leaning towards the dog. My wife was leaning towards the daughter. <laughs> We ended up giving our, our dog to a family in our home group. Life change happens in relationships. We gave, gave her to a family in our home group. They took great care of her. They ended up moving away. And there's been so many times where we said, we miss Penny. What we would do if we could have Penny back. And so in the last few months, we, we had been talking about getting a dog again. And like, you know, I know so many people have like specific purebred uh, types of dogs that they want to go after. Or maybe you're a German Shepherd or you like Labs or whatever your favorite type of dog is. Those, it's easy to find pure, purebred animals. It's easy to find a breeder who, who raises certain animals. But it's, you can't go online and Google weird hound part dachshund. You know, I, like I don't even know what to search for for, for a penny type dog. So we were just like continually going to the animal shelter and humane society. Well, finally, we, we, a couple weeks ago, I'm online. I see this dog looks just like Penny. And I'm like, babe, get in the car. So we, 
we drive down to animal services, and we go there, and like she is like the spitting image of Penny. Uh, she was a little bit bigger, but her temperament, everything was the same. And so we ended up adopting her. This, this is a few weeks back. And so we have her now, and she's like just like Penny. And so I say all that to say, God cares about the little things. He even brought us back this weird dog. It's not the same dog, but it's the same dog. And, and so, so I make that point, one, God cares about the little things. But secondly, I, I look at this dog. I'll come in the living room, and she's laying on my couch with all four of her legs like this on her back, mouth hanging open, her tongue's hanging out, snoring. And me and my wife just look at each other, and I say, you know what? That is the picture of a carefree life. That, that mutt of a dog that we rescued is not worried about what she's going to eat. She's not worried about where she's going to lay her head. She's not worried about anything because she knows that her rescuers are going to take care of her. I, I look at my kids, and, and they, they play and interact together, and they don't worry about the stock market. They don't worry about their finances. They don't worry about elections. They don't worry about any of these other things because they're grateful, and they know that their dad is going to take care of them. And so when we look at the birds, and we look at the flowers, and we look at dogs, and we look at anything else, God loves us so much more than those things. He gave his son for us. We are his prized possession. How much more will he take care of us? Amen? All right, I want to go back. I just read verses 26 through 30, but I want to highlight verse 27 again, okay? He says, can any one of you by worrying add even a single hour to your life? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And I I talked about this, I I think it might have been last Wednesday in our habitation service, uh, where, where so often we think that by dwelling on our problems or, or keeping them in front of us, that somehow we're in control of them. Somehow we'll be able to solve them on our own. But really that, that's a form of pride. Do you all remember that? It, it's, it's a form of, of control. And it, it's false control. We're, we're not really in control. Really it's an attack of the enemy to get us to focus everything on the things that God doesn't want us wasting time focusing on. Spending time in worry. And so what Jesus is saying in that verse is, what has worry ever done for you? What has worry ever done for you? What has it ever accomplished in your life? What problems has your worrying ever solved? What clarity or peace or rest has it brought about in your situation? None. And and, and here's the trick. We we spend so, so much time worrying, thinking we're in control, but really worry changes nothing around us, but it creates chaos within us. Think about it. Every moment you spend worrying, it's not solving anything around you. It's not fixing the problem. It's creating chaos within you. It's stealing peace that God promises to you. You're, you're voluntarily, you're freely giving away peace that is promised to you because you're choosing to dwell on your worry. So when you ask that question, what has worry done for me? And you realize nothing or, or, or nothing good at least. Then I want you to ask this question. What has God ever done for me? What has God done for you. And when you compare it, it's like weighing pros and cons. You look at his faithfulness. You, you, you look at his track record, his continual goodness, and all the things that you have to be grateful for. And when you compare questioning, what has worry done for me? What has God done for me? Then you say, why am I even worrying? Like, what is the logic here? We need to be dwelling on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. What has worry ever done for you? Nothing. Let's dwell on the things that God has done for us. Let's keep going. Verse 31 and 32. So here it is again. Jesus says, do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall 
we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So here's that future tense again. He says, what shall we eat? Shall we drink? What shall we wear? We're worrying about tomorrow. We're worrying about things that may never happen. And he says, for the pagans run after all these things. Okay, so pagans, um, that's not necessarily a derogatory term. Really, the, the people Jesus is speaking to in this passage should know better. And so pagans, really he's saying everyone else runs after these things. Everyone else is consuming themselves with worry. Everyone else is trying to solve their own problems. But you, you should know better. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. Do do y'all really believe that? Do you believe that God knows what you need? I believe that God knows what you need more than you know what you need. Sometimes we get so fixated on what we want or what we think we need, and God has something better in store. God knows what you need more than you know what you need. God knows what you need before you even ask. God knows what you need. And so when I read that and Jesus says, your heavenly father knows what you need, I I take it almost as if God is whispering to me. He's comforting me through that passage. I know what you need. Find rest in that. Find comfort in that. When you lay your head to bed at night, rather than thinking about all the things that happened today and all the things that are going to happen tomorrow, rather than recounting your worries, just imagine that God is right there beside your bed whispering, I know. I know what you need. When you get up in the morning and you start your day, you hop in your car and you start your commute, whatever you're doing, imagine that God is riding shotgun, because he is. But imagine that he's riding right next to you and you start to worry and he says, I know what you need. I know what you need. I've got you. So rather than be like everyone else, rather than be like those who who are lost and confused and don't know the help that they have in God, you know better and know that your heavenly Father knows what you need. Rather than running after all those things, excuse me, rather than run, our job is to seek. To seek. Verse 33, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So rather than run after all those things like everyone else, Rather than focus on our problems, rather than recounting our worries, don't think about those things. Think first and foremost about seeking God, seeking righteousness, putting him first. And then as a result, it says all these things will be given to you as well. There's our part and there's his part. He says, seek me. I'm going to take care of everything. And then what I love what Jesus does here is you notice leading up to this, He says, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. This time, he doesn't address those individually. He just says, do not worry about tomorrow. He relabels all the worries in one word, and he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. And so for us, I think we could find rest in that, because when you think about your worries, each one of them individually, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming when you think about all the things in life, especially as if it was all dependent on your strength and ability. But if you just sum it up like Jesus did, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, I, I, I can deal with that. 
I, I, I won't worry about tomorrow. Now, if I sit there and say, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to worry about this bill. I'm not going to worry about, you know, that conflict I have with this coworker. Whatever it is. When you start listing it, that's overwhelming. But take Jesus' directive here. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sum it up. Relabel your worries. Don't worry about tomorrow. Every day there's going to be something to worry about, but his grace is sufficient. He's there. Take it a day at a time and realize that he's got you today. Don't worry about tomorrow. And you say, well, well, that sounds so easy. How do I just turn off worry? Jesus is saying, do not worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. It, It sounds easier than it actually is. And why should I just believe him? And you know, it'd be one thing if I was up here and on my own authority was telling you to not worry about tomorrow. Because based on my authority and my ability, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I personally can't help you based on my strength. But this is the amazing thing when we look at the words of Jesus. When someone can predict their own death, burial, and resurrection, and not only foretell it, but then actually pull it off. He actually does it. He fulfills that. And he's the one telling you not to worry about the future. Then you believe them. Amen? When Jesus was teaching this originally, talking to his disciples, talking to leaders, talking to the crowds, you know, they're hearing it from one viewpoint, but we can look back at the big picture. We see the beginning and we see the end. We see the whole story, and we know the work that Christ did, the finished work of the cross. He pulled it off, ladies and gentlemen. The things that he foretold and the things that he prophesied, he actually came good on his word. He didn't just say these things, but he fulfilled them. And when he says, do not worry about tomorrow, we can take rest in the fact that he knows what he's talking about. Our job is not to run after all these things. Our job is not to worry. Our job is not to solve our problems. Our job is to seek him first. Now, as I start to close here, I want to draw your attention to something very important, okay? The problem is not the problem. Worry is not even the problem. And you say, wait, we're talking about worry. Isn't worry the problem we're addressing? No, let me show you. The problem is not the problem. Worry is not the problem. Trust is the problem. Okay, the problem is not the problem. Worry is not the problem. Trust is the problem. Many people say that worry is the opposite of trust. Or that worry is the opposite of faith. Or that if you're not exercising your faith, then you're in worry. Or if you're not trusting, then you're worrying. But really, I believe that worry is a result of misplaced trust. It's when we trust in anything else other than God. It's when we put our trust in ourselves or in our abilities and our finances and our jobs and our boss and the economy and our government and our spouse and our friends and our family and our doctors. And when we put our trust in anything else other than him and he's put into the second spot or further down the rung, our trust is misplaced. And as a result, we fall into worry. When Jesus says, oh, you of little faith in that passage, I don't think he's saying, no, you don't have faith. But I think he's pointing out your, your faith is in yourself. Your faith is in other things. Look at the pagans. They run after all these things. Put your faith in me. Seek God first. The problem is not the problem. Worry is not the problem. Trust is the problem. And when our trust is misplaced, it results in worry. So what do we do? Direct our trust and God. Over and over, Scripture tells us that if we trust in God, He's going to take care of us. First of all, in this passage, it says, Seek me first, and everything else will work out. 
Seek me first and all these things will be added unto you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So trust in him, not in yourself. And then it says, In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in him and he will make your path straight. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Trust in God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, there's this whole our part, his part thing. Seek him, everything will be added unto you. Trust in him, he'll make your path straight. Present your request to him, he'll give you your peace. I could go on and on. I could find other promises for this, but there's a pattern here. Don't focus on your worry. Don't focus on your problems. Fix your trust on him. Everything else is going to work out. Trust is the problem. And if we just put our trust in the right place, then we have nothing to worry about. Now, I want to do something here. You know, every sermon, the goal really at the, at the, the end of the sermon when you leave is that there would be clear application. That there would be clear steps so that you could apply these truths to your life. Well, tonight I want to start the application process right here. All right now, are y'all okay with that? Okay, and, and here, here's what I mean by that. I believe that the biggest way we express our trust is through worship. I believe that worship is a response to God for who he is and for what he has done in our life. And worship helps put things in the right order. Worship helps put things in the right perspective. It shows who we are in relation to who God is. When we worship Our God is big and we are small. When we worship, God is big and our problems are small. Our worries have no ground to stand on. Worship is an opportunity to surrender fully to him. It's an opportunity to exercise adoration and trust completely in him. And so if the the key to overcoming worry is to put our trust in him, the, the biggest way we exercise that trust is through worship. And here's what I want you to get. Worship is the antidote to worry. Whenever you're tempted to fret or to get anxious or to stress out or worry, stop and worship. Puts everything right back in the order that it needs to be in. So the worship team is going to join me, and I want to pray over you. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to go into one last song of worship. You can go ahead and stand to your feet. I want to encourage you as we go into this time of worship, whatever you carried in here, whatever worries have been weighing on you, whatever has been bogging you down, don't run after those things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, don't fixate on, on these things that you'll never be able to solve on your own. Submit to him. Seek him. Trust him. Lay it all out there. Worship him with everything you have. And when you exercise your trust in that way, he's going to take care of every little need. The big things, the small things, the things that you think only you knew about, he's saying, I know what you need. Amen. Let's exercise our trust tonight as we worship him together.